coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman, your host. I am very excited this morning to be bringing one of my mentors in the martial arts, and he is the teacher of my teacher. His name is Kiyoshi Scott Magzuga. Kiyoshi, how long have you been in the martial arts now? Well, I started when I was six. I'm, I'm blessed to say that I turned 50 this year, so I guess that would be, uh, what, 54 years? <laughs> yeah. So you, you got a lifetime, literally, of being in the martial arts. And how did you get started at six years old? I think like many children, my parents didn't know any better. So they just looked for the closest martial arts program, which I think at the time was a in a program they used to call in the 70s, Super Saturdays, that they would have at uh, recreation centers. So I started in just a typical Japanese karate program as a child. But then we also moved around a lot as is a family uh, based on my father's job. So they really then started putting me into Taekwondo schools as we moved around because that was what was prevalent at the time. And growing up in the martial arts, and obviously you continued it all throughout your life, but as a young person, how did the martial arts ultimately impact you as a person? Well, I will say that although I was going to karate and Taekwondo classes as a child, I saw a lot of bullying. Obviously, bullying has become a, a big social issue for everybody nowadays. It's being dealt with in the school system. There's laws against it now, but it wasn't so back in the 70s. So there was a lot of unchecked bullying, a lot of parenting that needed a lot of help. Uh, The parenting that was happening back then, certainly the the education just wasn't there for them. So I grew up in a little rougher household, and certainly there was a lot of bullying I experienced along with many other children. Once I was out of high school, I had moved to Detroit and joined a group, uh, the Khan Karate Organization, which at the time was touted as sort of being the, you know, the roughest and the toughest in the Detroit area. And so I joined that organization because I realized that I didn't want to be a victim any longer. And it really changed everything for me and, and took me from being a boy to a man, I'd say in many ways, and really took me from being a, a victim to a victor. And changed my entire outlook. I finally had the ability to defend myself and defend others that were weaker than me, and I was able to put that into practice. So it changed me, I guess, and because it had changed me, I I was just so passionate that I wanted to do that for a living and help others to not be bullied and to feel empowered and to be able to protect themselves and have the physical, mental, and, and even now we teach spiritual defenses to keep themselves and others safe. That's great. And, you know, for me, it took me just like it did for you from being a boy into a man. And, you know, it was a little later stage in my mid 20s because it took me a little longer to figure things out. And, you know, everybody's got their own timeline. But I'm glad that you brought that up because I I wanted you to talk a little bit about why it is that the martial arts can really teach a young man or a young woman and help them transform from that childhood into being a full fledged, confident adult. 
Well, if you're asking me that question, then I would my response would probably be, although things were a lot tougher in the old days than I think they are now in regard to growing up and computers and cell phones and the way that children played together out on the playground and in the neighborhoods and the things that were experienced, there was a lot of bad that went with that. But I would also say that we've created a generation now that is a little bit more soft. I hate to say that. And I think the martial arts in many ways sort of rubs the softness back off and says, listen, this is a microcosm of life. Life is not easy as an adult. So we need to sort of scrape off the coddling when you're in the martial arts. And we sort of slowly, we start by taking easy care of you, making sure that you're feeling safe and empowered from a white belt. But as you're moving up through the ranks, we're slowly polishing off that softness and really teaching you to be strong mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of those ways so that when you have been training for several years, I would say usually two years plus, you start to develop a resiliency that you just didn't have before. And there's not very many places you can go to get that any longer. The martial arts school is one of the only places that that you can find in our society where that's still happening. And I would agree with you 100%. And it was something that I personally needed. I know you need it. And I think that every single person ultimately does need is that transformation. And the only way that that truly happens is by doing something hard and then continuing to go back. And it all comes down ultimately to failure, right? Because you have to have those little itty bitty failures or in, you could call them instead lessons that build upon each other each and every single day. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny because my chief operating officer, Julius Bierke, his father was my original teacher in full contact for knuckle Japanese karate many years ago, decades ago. And he's here with us and, uh, we put together a tournament. He's really brought the tournament structure that they had from Europe over here. And that's one of the biggest things that he shares with our parents, that this gives our, our children an opportunity to fail. And then within this Petri dish, they can fail and then find the answers and come back and fix the problem. So we have to sort of fail forward. If we don't fail, we don't learn. If you're always winning at something, if everybody's getting a trophy, then there's nothing that you're learning in that experience. And so Yes, I absolutely believe you're you're 100% right. We need these experiences to learn that it's okay to fail. We have to fail if we're going to learn to find and develop success. So I want to ask you a personal question, and you only share as much as you're willing to share, and I, I know you love to share. So what is something that you have failed at in life? Oh, my goodness. Where, where can the list even start? Early on, because of my childhood, and I'll be honest about my younger years, I'm assuming you don't have a too young of an audience listening to this. In my, in my younger years, I failed at relationships. I, uh, because of my upbringing, because of what I experienced, my 20s were wrought with substance abuse. Even though I was training the martial arts, uh, I would mask my pain through drinking and even recreational drugs uh, during that time. And so... I think I failed my students when I was young as an instructor because I wasn't the best role model that I could have been. I think I failed at the time, probably in my relationships with my family and some of my friends and certainly my first wife. There was a lot of failures. As a matter of fact, it really took until I was age 33 for me to turn around. And really what helped me turn my life around was a faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your, on your uh, podcast, but that's what really turned me around. 
So martial arts was always there as a great foundation, but it didn't stop me morally, and there certainly wasn't a purpose there prior to age 33 when I found my faith. Well, that's great. And yeah, you're perfectly fine sharing that. I asked you a personal question and you're sharing your personal story and I'm really happy that you did. Everybody has different viewpoints and different faith in life and that's okay. And I'm glad that you shared yours because not a lot of people nowadays are even willing to do that little bit. So I really do think that it is important because I think that is something that we have lost in our culture is the willingness to be transparent and honest and say what you mean. So thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Now, on the flip side of the the failures, what do you think has been your greatest success in life? Well, I mean, of course, my number one would be my faith in Jesus Christ. That's probably my my greatest success because it has the longest term results to it on a positive, on the most positive level. But let's just talk about on on a secular level. I would say that from that time, I was able to build successful businesses. And these businesses being martial arts based and building one of the largest martial arts schools back in the early 2000s, we had about 450 students at one time, uh, and we were had the, the first after school program in Michigan and, and big summer camp, martial arts based summer camps. So that was a huge success going over to Europe and bringing Japanese fighting karate back to the Detroit area that was not currently there. I was the first one to do that. To build something from nothing that impacts literally tens of thousands of people. You know, I listened to one of your podcasts with uh, you and, and Renshi Matt Sakura, who has been with me for, oh my goodness, 30 years. He's been my student. He was one of my very first students. And now look at him. He's got more students than I've got up in Detroit. And to see through him and then you and so many others growing in the martial arts, I mean, I'm really proud of that. I, I feel very blessed that I was able to be used as a, you know, I guess as a conduit for this kind of positive change in so many thousands of people's lives over the past 30 years of being a professional martial arts school owner. Yeah. And, you know, I'm part of that story, right? <laughs> you know, Matt, yes, you sir. passed it on to, you know, Renshi Matt, who passed on to me. And, you know, I've trained with you personally as well been thrown by you personally as well. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> yes, that it, that impact is what's really important. And that kind of goes to the same conversation that I had with Renshi on his po- podcast episode, as well as the other people that I'm speaking with that are in different walks of life. It's all about how can you impact other people? How can you build relationships? Because ultimately, I 100% believe that life is only about relationships at the end of the day. And if you don't have strong relationships, one with your faith, like you spoke about, with your family, with your friends, and then ultimately the all the other acquaintances and people around you and your business and whatever it may be, that you have to have those relationships or life is ultimately meaningless. So can you talk yes, a little sir. bit about, you know, how you have built relationships and how those relationships have just kind of expanded throughout life. I know we didn't talk about this question ahead of time, but I think it's an important question that we're down this you know, path. You know, I, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional environment, and so I really didn't understand relationships. And I remember at uh, 17 and 18 years old, I had a girlfriend, for instance, and I went to visit her. I was at the time living in Tampa, Florida, and went down to Fort Myers about a two and a half hour ride and stayed with her and her family for a weekend to visit. And it was the first time that I had ever seen actual loving relationships within a family that were functional. And I remember being so blown away by the feeling and and how they accepted me and how they interacted between themselves and how unselfish they were. And I wanted more of that. And I didn't know how to get it. So I started reading books on 
what is love? How to show love? How do we define love? What are loving relationships look like? And those help. But I think one of the, the greatest lessons that I had ever learned was from one of my Korean teachers, Grandmaster Y.K. Kim. He used to say that in a relationship, you have to give 55% and expect 45%. In a, in, a, in a relationship that's 100%. Now, I understand it's the old adage that everybody should give 100% to make it work. I totally get it. But I think his point, which is well taken, was that you give more and expect less. And if everybody in the relationship does that, then everybody's always happy. It's really hard to be unhappy when somebody, you feel like they're overgiving to you and you're undergiving to them, right? You always feel a little bit indebted to them and vice versa. So I think that's the best way to handle your relationships. One of the other things that I would say is in a relationship, we know that people get burned. It could be a man or a woman getting burned in a relationship or even a child getting burned. But as an adult, I think what I like to teach and what we find works the best is saying that if you're burned by somebody because of their baggage, doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means that they've got their own baggage in their life. Don't allow it to infect you so it destroys your integrity. Continue to do the right thing. Stay on the right path. If they treat you badly, you don't need to leave that relationship and treat other people badly. You need to continue to, to treat people right because that is what's going to, I think, impact long-term all of your relationships. You're going to always run across people that are unhealthy uh, or toxic. And you're going to be able to shed them off. But I also believe that birds of a feather flock together, that water seeks its own level. And over time, it doesn't happen right away. But when you become the right kind of person, that the right kind of people will be brought to you or drawn to you based on the energy that you're putting out. I also heard, a, and I'll be brief about this, but I also heard a great teaching by Tony Robbins years ago on relationships. And it was a great turnabout. He said, Make a list of everything you'd want in a partner. So in my case, if I wanted a blonde woman who was supportive and sweet and all of these things, you'd make a list. I want her to be five foot six. I want her to have size four shoes. I don't know. Whatever it is for you, right? You make this listing of all of her personality traits and everything she looked like. And then he turned it around at the end and he said, now become the person that that person would want to be with. And I, man, it blew me away. So it, it really turned my sight inwards and made me a lot more introspective about who am I? Because if I'm not the right person, I'm never going to draw the right people into my life. And then once I become the right person, I have to know that the, I'm still going to get a lot of wrong people that come through that I can discard over time and keep the good ones as we continue through life. I know that was a long uh, answer, but I hope it helped. No, that was a great answer. And, you know, it all comes down to a life of service, a life of giving. And that, I yep. believe, is the most important thing that you can do is continuously give and give and give, whether it's giving value to people through sharing your story like we're doing right now over a podcast or it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with your son or your daughter or your wife. You're always giving more than you receive. And by doing that, like you said, you're going to build a life for yourself that's great. But the only way that you can give ultimately is to have your house in order first, right? to know who you are and who you have become as a person and to be confident in you. And once your house is in order, then you can give and help other people. And I believe that this is one of the ways that martial arts can help the average person, right? Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's just not very many places that you can go to be physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually fed in the right ways with great life philosophy that just is solid, period. 
And one of those philosophies that you taught me that I take to heart and I have taught to a ton of people. I mean, even when I was working as a manager at the company I was at before I did what I did now, uh, you know, I had 20, 30, 50, 40 people all the time that were around me and I was constantly teaching. I was one of the managers and trainers there. And I talked about the 1% concept all the time, but I want to hear it right from you because you're the one I heard it from the first time. The Japanese have a, a term or philosophy called Kaizen. It's, it's been in the uh, corporate world for many, many years. And Kaizen means a little bit every day, a little bit of progress every day. Uh, a good way to put it in English would be to say inch by inch is a cinch, yard by yard is hard. So if you are, are improving just a little bit each day, over the course of a year or over the course of five years, that adds up to a lot. We don't need to become a black belt as soon as we walk through the door of a, of a solid, good martial arts school. We realize that it takes time. It's little by little. You can't eat an elephant all at one time. You have to eat it one bite at a time. So as long as we, we continue to improve with patience, patience with ourselves, patience with our instructors, patience with life, then we, we, we really make giant leaps forward over time. Yeah, and I think that's a hard concept for a lot of people in America nowadays because we have been so ingrained with you can get almost anything now immediately, right? Like if you, you're not feeling good, you can pull up your phone and you can watch a funny YouTube video or you can scroll through your Facebook or do whatever you want to do in two seconds and you can have a change in how you're feeling. And I, I think that makes sure. the concept of Kaizen or getting 1% better every day very difficult for a lot of people. It is. Well, we live in a fast food culture. You know, this week we want our children to play guitar. Two weeks later, we're going to enroll them in soccer. Three weeks later, we're in martial arts. Four weeks later, in football. Like, it's difficult because nobody sticks around to develop a skill anywhere anymore. Or very few people are dedicated to developing a skill over time. Listen, I'm an employer, and I've got... As you know, we've got a franchise with five locations here in Texas, another one that's opening in Florida eventually. But as somebody who employs people and works with people for a living, we see it all the time. People want instant gratification, but they don't understand by, that by delaying that instant gratification and actually developing skills, it makes them more valuable, and ultimately they have more success and more fulfillment. And you, I'm glad you brought up your business because you're not just a martial artist, right? You are a business owner and it take, took a lot of years to build your business to the point that it is now. And I know it followed the same concept as Kaizen because anything that's worth building or anything that's worth doing is not going to happen immediately. And for the entrepreneurs that listen, because I, I do love to talk about entrepreneurship because I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart as well. Can you just talk a little bit about what it is like to build a business over a long period of time? So, wow, that's, that, what a phenomenal question. As you're asking me the question, I'm thinking of all the painful years and, and sacrifice at the beginning that I went through. When I, let me back up. When I was in my early 20s, I was getting ready to join the Navy. I had just been married and had a daughter on the way at the time, and I, I didn't see a life really available and I certainly didn't have thousands and thousands of dollars at you know 23 years old to start my own business so I was going to join the Navy that was my intention well I went uh, took my testing and you know took the bus to the hotel and did all of those things did my physical but there was a flaw in my paperwork they asked me to come back on Thursday it was a Tuesday when I was there I said I can come back in two days the following night 10 p.m. I got a phone call from my teacher at the time who said if I didn't join the Navy they would invest, or his cousins were going to invest $10,000 into a martial arts school for me. And so I ended up, it was a life-changing moment for me. I ended up not going into the Navy 
which would have given me stability and who knows where that would have taken me. And I stayed local and I opened a martial arts school. Little did I know that $10,000, you know, at 23, 24 years old, I thought it was millions. I thought it was unlimited amounts of money. We didn't even have enough money to get the location built out completely or painted. So what ended up happening was in Michigan, as you know, those, those winters are pretty brutal sometimes. I ended up living, there was a split between my wife and I, and I was living in the back of my martial arts school, sleeping on a futon. We had, uh, it was just cement floors. There was no tile. There was no carpet. And we didn't even have a working HVAC unit for the first year. So that meant when it was 10, 10 below outside, it was 10 below inside. We heated the school with our bodies when we went and trained. All I had was four mats, four small tatami, three by six, so uh, was a, a very small area with a heavy bag in the middle, and that's how we started the school. So when people come and they see that I've got a, a nice home now with a pool and a hot tub, and I, we're on some acreage here in Texas, they assume that it was always this way, and this is what they're going to have in the martial arts business in one or two or three years, and they, they just weren't around to see the absolute struggles in the beginning and that first decade where I really didn't make any money and I had to figure it all out myself because we didn't have business systems back then. And it was difficult. It was really, really hard. You had to take a lot of chances, which we did. Some of them paid off. Others didn't. Even the ones that didn't, though, we always learned from. And again, that came from failure. It was difficult, but I'm so glad I did it because at the end of the day, I'm beholden to none. I've started my own business. I can live my passion and I can do it while helping other people, which, you know, I think we're called to do biblically. And, and certainly, I, you know, my faith calls for that. I'm really glad you shared that story. You know, I've interviewed a couple other people that are in different lines of business, but it's the same story. Not the details, but overall. Everybody who goes into business for themselves has to struggle in the beginning, no matter what. And you have to go through that and you have to earn what it is that you're trying to build because anything like we've said before, anything that's worth it is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. If it wasn't hard, then everybody would do it. Well, I'll tell you, the, the Bible says something about that. It says that the race is not given to the swift or the strong, but to the one who endures. And I believe that. I believe if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you must endure. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, a, one of my favorite stories is that of the tortoise and the hare. I certainly was the tortoise, and I think most entrepreneurs have to be the tortoise because you have to develop the patience and stick to it. But eventually, the guys who are out there, they run fast, they're sprinters, they're superstars, they're rock stars. Many times, they don't have the longevity built in and the patience to make it work. And so eventually, you end up winning the race as the tortoise. And I definitely would say I'm a tortoise. I'm a workhorse, not a racehorse. Yeah, you know, I was watching a video yesterday on Instagram of a very famous guy, Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm sure you've probably heard of him. And he was interviewing a young guy that had a startup business. And he was talking about the startup culture. Everybody wants to start a business, start a business, start a business. And then they build them to sell them and flip them because they want to get rich quick, right? And I love Gary because his whole advice during that that time is exactly what you're saying. He, he didn't use the tortoise and the hare, but he said, why, why are you building a business just to sell it? That's not why you build a business. You build a business that is sustainable and that earns a profit because you want to build a business that you can be proud of. And when you do that, then maybe one day you can sell it if you want to. But it has to be built for the purpose of building it 
not just for the purpose of selling, right? Now, let's switch gears just a little bit, go back towards the martial arts. Um, at this point in your life, how old are you now, sir? I'm 50. I'll be 51 in March. Okay. I should have said, how young are you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, uh, in my business, most of my clientele are uh, 40s and up. You know, I get a lot of people that are in their 50s, 60s, and even some people in their 70s. And, you know, one of the things that I always talk about with them when they ask personal questions, of course, is my martial arts because it's a big part of my life. And I've had a few people ask me like, well, you know, how could I do that? I don't know that I could do that. I'm in my 50s. I'm in my 60s. I've never done anything like that before. So is it possible for somebody in that age range to start training or if they were doing it years ago, pick it up again? And is it dangerous for them to train? So there's a lot of questions in there, but I, I would say not only is it possible, it is recommended. I think that if you find yourself in the right martial arts environment who train their students in an age-appropriate setting, then, yes, you can absolutely minimize the risk to their health. And that needs to be discussed when you enter a school. And I mean this with all due respect. If you walk into a school that's being run by a 23- or 24-year-old young man, they haven't experienced life. They don't know what it's like in their 40s when their body starts to break down or their 50s. They've never experienced these things. So many times, by, by no fault of their own, simply because they haven't had the experience, they're going to expect things out of these older folks that are that unattainable and dangerous. I would say that's based on my experience. Uh, the older you get, the easier you break. I just saw recently a, a video where there was a younger man. I think he was in his 30s. He was doing some sparring, and somebody was taping it, and he went into cardiac arrest. Well, if he's in his 30s and he was in pretty good shape, what does that say about somebody who's in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, right? So if it's done well, it's done as an exercise, and it's focused on self-defense, then uh, and not doing, you know, three, four-minute rounds uh, on bag work or sparring for rounds and rounds as if they're getting ready for a title fight. Those things are, are a young man's game. What needs to be focused on is the stretching for an older person, basic self-defense, basic punching, and everything has to be done slowly with safety first in, uh, in mind. Okay, but ultimately you do recommend that people do train as long as they find the right environment, the right teacher, the right school. I do. And one of the things I'm going to say, which, uh, you know, we also practice Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I would say that we've lost almost all of our adult students in the past because of one simple move, and that is simply the back rolls and the front rolls. Because as we get older, our spine and our neck, uh, the, the discs herniate much more, uh, much more easily. So we've got to be super gentle with these people. And I would just caution people against doing those front rolls and the back rolls when they are over the age of 40. As you should know already, doing a back roll wrong where you're going over that neck, it can cause a lot of damage. And so that's the only thing I'd really caution against. But any sort of stand-up self-defense or things where you're on your back or on top, I think those are great when it's when they're practiced uh, safely and age-appropriately. And people that are a little bit older, they can still get a lot of benefits from the martial arts. What, what kind of benefits would they oh, be able to expect? Everything that we just talked about, there would be uh, cognitive benefits that they're going to achieve just from the mind-body connection of doing the martial arts. They're going to have, it doesn't matter what age you're at, leadership or morality lessons that should be going along in any good martial arts school. That's going to continue to support 
the way they live their life uh, in the relationships that they're currently in, the physical fitness aspect of it, keeping them healthier, the stretching that goes along with uh, longevity for their joints and their mus- uh, musculature. So there's just everything, emotionally, physically, uh, morally, there's, there's nothing it's not going to touch. It's, it's really a holistic, uh, healthy activity. Great, and I agree with you 100%. Let's switch gears a little bit here. Now that you are at 50 years old and you're moving into basically the second half of your life, what are you curious about going forward? What am I curious about? Well, uh, I'd say in, in all honesty, I'd say in business, I'm curious to see what my exit off of the floor on a more permanent basis is going to look like. Currently, I don't teach because I have to. I teach because I want to, because I've got a a phenomenal staff. My son is the lead instructor at our headquarters school. And, of course, when I go to the franchisees, I do some teaching. I usually teach seminars around the world, but I don't have to be out there teaching five classes a night. So I'm interested to see how how that's going to play out. I'm curious to see as I'm aging and I'm less able to do certain things how that's going to affect us on a business level. However, we are starting a a private Christian school as part of what we do. And I see myself currently morphing more into that role as a superintendent of the school. And then, of course, if if this is going to push out to our franchises, they will also, it'll allow me to develop curriculum in a different way that also is extremely beneficial for the student. Maybe I just won't have to be so physical. But I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Other than that, I'd say... You know, we all wonder what's going to happen as we get older with the health issues and, and uh, what's going to happen in the afterlife. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding all of that out. Awesome. And obviously, as people have kind of gotten a little hint, you've had quite an interesting life. And it's taken you a lot of different places. You've traveled the world. You've been all over. And I know you've got out of that one personal favorite story that you're willing to share. So please share whatever that story is with us. There's so many, as you know, uh, I'm a storyteller, so it's tough to pick one. I would have to say that my favorite story or one of the the highlights of my life was going to Europe and training and and achieving my black belt in Denmark with my teacher at that point, Shihan Jensbjerka. Going overseas, and I heard your podcast with with Frenchie Matt and yourself, as you guys talked about, going to Japan was one of the highlights of your life. Going to Europe... First of all, I was treated famously by by the Dane. It was the European headquarters at the time. The level of instruction and the level of competency in the martial arts was off the chain. I had never seen anything like it. Even when I went to Japan, I I felt as though the Danes had a a much higher level of skill in in the type of uh, karate we were training at the time. But I received my first-degree black belt in Ashihara Karate in Denmark on a little island in the Black Sea called Libu, where we had a summer camp, and it was an outdoors test, and we had to do the 20-fight gauntlet, and I had the experience of being able to fight world champions from all over Europe, Poland and Sweden and Denmark, and it was the hardest thing that I had ever been through. As a matter of fact, I often tell the story and say, at the end, my last 20th fight, they had to carry me off the field because I was no longer able to stand, Uh, and, and I wept. And at 28 years old, or 27 years old, excuse me, I didn't cry. At 27 years old, a big tough guy, bouncer back in Detroit, the whole routine, I wept. I had never felt as violated as I did in that moment. And yet it was the highlight of my martial arts career because I did it. I achieved it. And I think it goes back to it's not worth doing if it's not a difficult journey. 
Great. Thank you very much for sharing that story there. I've heard some of that before, but not all the details that you shared. So I really like it. Thank you very much. Before we break off for, you know, the end of this interview, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? No, you were extremely thorough. Great. Now, Kiyoshi, moving forward for the people that want to find out more about you, who you are and your business, Vortex Martial Arts, where can they learn more about you? So I'm glad you mentioned that, that we did change our name from Vortex Martial Arts to Vortex Academy. So we've been Vortex Academy for several years now. Uh, obviously, as anybody would hear me or hear you speak about, I'm martial arts based currently, but we're moving into a ministry based and then the martial arts will still be a part of that. We've got the evening programs. We've got the after school and summer camp programs. We do teach a multi-martial art or mixed martial art that includes full contact knockdown karate, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Israeli Krav Maga for self-defense, Filipino Kali. We even added in recently Apache knife fighting, which is phenomenal. So cool. And with all the character development, life skills that we teach, and moving towards the, uh, the private Christian school during the day, we are a complete business from top to bottom serving the students of our community. So if somebody's interested in learning more about our franchise opportunities, they're more than welcome to contact me directly at 512-774-5425, extension 1. They can also go to our uh, website, which would be www.vortexfranchise.com. Great. And I want to say thank you, Kiyoshi, for being on the show today. It really was a pleasure. It's always a great conversation with you. And I thought we covered a, a lot of really great topics. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real honor, especially uh, seeing the success that you are showing everybody. And you've become a, a just an, an unbelievably successful young man. I'm really proud of you. Well, thank you. That, that really does mean a lot to me. And for those that are listening, this has been the Safe and Sound Podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman. This podcast, as always, is about a safe and sound lifestyle. So it's not just about finances, not just about, like we talked about today, the martial arts, but it's about having a full, healthy lifestyle with your relationships all the way through to every single aspect that you can possibly cover. So we're going to bring you more interesting interviews in the future, and I look forward to doing that. So catch us next time. And we'll talk with you soon. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.